0: To uh, Matthew chapter 23, and we are, uh, as Daniel mentioned during the uh, the uh, call the worship this morning. This today is Palm Sunday. Uh, traditionally, the church has celebrated it's the day when uh, Jesus came. The week before Easter, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, he was you know riding on a donkey, and uh, and during the, that week, that kind of last week of Jesus' uh, life ministry. He, um, he had all kinds of interactions with the religious leaders in Jerusalem. He'd come to Jerusalem for the Passover week. And we've been studying some of those questions that Jesus has been interacting with about the, uh, the religious leaders. And... Uh, that's where Matthew 23 comes in. We're right in the middle of the Passover week, and uh, we're going to hear uh, some more about Jesus' confrontation with the religious leaders in in Jerusalem. So that's uh, Matthew 23. We're starting in verse 1, and uh, you can follow along in your Bible and the bulletin there. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, Sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe what they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, And greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted." Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for the honesty of your word. Your word that cuts us in order to heal us. So we pray that you would uh, give us open hearts to the things that you would say to us so that this community, our church, would uh, glorify you, honor you by the love and care that we have for one another. And so we pray that you would be our guide and our our instructor. We confess that we need to hear from you, our Lord. So send your spirit to enlighten our minds to understand this text. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are entering into Matthew uh, chapter 23 uh, this week, which is a chilling... Prophetic indictment by Jesus on the religious leadership in Jerusalem, and which is really actually an important topic. You know, m- many people, if you ask them, you know, what they think about Christianity. Uh, one of many people's their main objection to religions and Christianity is that they would say that church, churches are a place where people are manipulated, people are controlled, people are stripped of their life and their identity by self-seeking, authoritarian pastors and priests and religious leaders. And uh, there is a deep suspicion about religious institutions in our culture. And what's really fascinating is you come to a passage like this in Matthew 23 and you find out that Jesus shares some of that suspicion, that questioning of religious institutions. And I'll just tell you, it's very humbling. It's almost frightening how much power churches, pastors, Priests have in people's lives. And uh, actually, some of you have probably seen the movie that's just come out, Spotlight. Shannon and I watched it a couple weeks ago. It's won all kinds of awards. It's a, the story of um, the sex abuse scandal in the Catholic Church in Boston that was uncovered by the Boston Globe. And, you know, one of the uh, uh, most uh, disturbing parts of that film, you know, is they have interviews with victims. And one of the, the things that they say over and over is that, you know, when a priest shows you attention, how can you question God? You know, someone's being abused by a priest. How can I question God? The religious leaders play the role of God in people's lives. is very powerful. And, you know, I'll just be candid with you that what you're doing right now is an almost dangerously vulnerable act. You're going to sit here for a half hour and open your heart, expecting that the words that I'm going to speak to you are the words of God, that God is addressing you right now. And um, if any of you feel suspicious or guarded about what we're doing right here, the, right the pastor-priest guy is going to expound the word of God to the sheep, there's some justification for being guarded. And what this passage forces us to admit as a church is that many people have opened themselves in that way to churches, to pastors, have exposed themselves to some of the most damaging and oppressive abuse in the world. And the thing that makes it so bad is that it is all done under the veneer of honoring God. And so this raises a big question for you. Why are you doing it? Why why make yourself that vulnerable? Why open your heart in, uh, in uh, you know, such a, a tender way, such a vulnerable way. And the answer to that is because of Jesus in this passage. You know, if any of you have been in a, you know, maybe an abusive church, you've tried to talk to a pastor about that, you know, one of the things about pastors, they know the Bible better than everyone. And they're better at talking about the Bible than everyone. And it's very hard to argue with them about the Bible because they have all the answers. And so it is... Um, such an encouragement that Jesus comes in this passage and gives a voice to the people for, for the people who have no voice. He speaks for them and he challenges the authorities for them and names the thing that everyone kind of senses, but they can't find a Bible verse to, to you know, to, to criticize it with. And so the reason we open our hearts is because we trust Jesus who is in this passage. But, you know, of course, that answers the question of why you should open your heart to. Jesus, but why open your heart to, to me or to Daniel or to the elders or deacons in our church? Well, I won't deny that to open your heart to anyone is a risk. But it is a risk you have to take in your life. If your heart is sealed up safe where no one can hurt you, you will only be alone, and you will never know the thrill of having your maker speak to the center of your soul and flood your heart with his life and his light and his love. You have to open your heart to someone. And so in this case, we as a church are going to let this text bring light to the reality of spiritual abuse. And we're going to speak openly and honestly about it. And because that's the beginning of trust, is being candid, being forthright. And we're going to say that spiritual abuse is real in the church, that Jesus condemns it vehemently, and that we want to resist it however we can here. And I think that that kind of honesty as a church, I hope, is the beginning of trust. So this morning we're going to study Jesus' words on spiritual oppression or spiritual abuse by religious leaders. And actually, we're going to have another week on this, this is, Matthew 23 is quite a quite a chapter, and so we're going to look at it after Easter some more as well. But in particular, we're going to answer these two questions for you. First, what does spiritual abuse look like? What are the marks of this kind of dysfunction in a church community? And then second, when is it time then to leave a church? Because you're called to be, you know, be trusting of your leadership. You're called to be committed to your churches. And so it's a big question, is it, is it appropriate? Is it ever appropriate for someone to leave a church because of, of this kind of abuse happening? And so we're going to answer those two questions this morning. So first, what does spiritual abuse look like? And I want to highlight, Jesus points out three kind of markers, signs, of a kind of dysfunction in a church community. Okay? And the first one is this, is the laying on of burdens. That's how he puts it, the laying on of burdens. You see that there in verse 4. He's talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, some of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And it says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. This is a very powerful uh, description of kind of a religious culture of, you know, spiritual kind of oppression and what it feels like. And it feels like the laying on of burdens. There's a certain heaviness to it. And so It's kind of the spirit. Whenever you go to church, you come with burdens and you leave with more burdens. Instead of having your burdens relieved, you know, that's what the pastor is supposed to do is you're supposed to carry burdens with people and relieve them of the burdens. Actually, more burdens are being put on top. And so that's one of the things to guard against. And you say, well, what is the burden that's being put upon them? Well, you know, it's important to know, first of all, that there are places in the Bible where it says that the hand of the Lord, the Lord himself, can be heavy on people. Um, If you know Psalm 32, Psalm 32 is about a psalm about uh, someone who has a deep sin in their life that they're hiding, and they've not confessed it, and they've not faced it, they've not dealt with it. And in Psalm 32, it says, for day and night... Your hand was heavy upon me. So there's a sense where there is something that where God Himself can can put a weight on us that there's a, a specific sin that needs to be addressed and brought into the light. But that is not a general sense of heaviness that's constant all the time. The general mood or culture of a church. And um, this is the conviction, the specific conviction of the Holy Spirit, that God names a sin that's in our lives or in our hearts. And what's happening in this community is there's just a general mood of a burden. And this comes from adding expectations on people that have not been placed on them by Jesus. It's adding to the commandments of the Bible. So the Bible gives us certain things that God expects from us. And then there are the traditions of man that can be added to God's word that create a whole sense of all these burdens and these things that I have to do to please God. and, 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 um, And these commands also are not sufficiently surrounded by God's grace and mercy. So how God intends, I mean, the only way that you can obey God's commands or obey, you know, is that there's a certain amount of love and support. That's, you know, that's what he's saying, you know, they, don't even help, they put these burdens on people and they don't even help them carry them. And so, but the way God intends it to be is that we have his grace and his mercy that enables us and walks with us to, to do the things that he calls us to. And so the burden of the message of the scribes and the Pharisees is you are never good enough for God. God demands more from you, that you are not giving. And the message is also that the leaders are not willing to sympathize with our weakness and to walk with us. And I'll tell you, if you hear that message over and over again, you're not good enough for God, you're not doing enough for God, you are disappointing God, and that's the message you hear over and over again, it will be crushing to your spirit. And, um, you know, you think about how damaging that is from an earthly father. Some of you, maybe you've had earthly fathers like that. You know, this, All you heard was, I was never pleasing him. I never was enough. And it was never good enough. And he was always laying more demands on me. And you carry the weight of those expectations your whole life. Now you imagine that you think that that's the message you're hearing from your heavenly father, your creator, is all these burdens. I mean, this can, it's going to have a huge effect on your whole life. And what Jesus says, what, one of the things that Jesus insists upon is that his leaders, the religious leaders in the church, should be taking burdens off of people. That's one of the main things he came to do. You know, earlier in, uh, in Matthew chapter 11, maybe some of, this might be for some of you your favorite verse in the whole Bible. This is how Jesus describes his ministry. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn for you, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus removes burdens for people. And you know, one of the ways that he says he does that is about his whole manner of how he interacts with people. He's gentle and lowly of heart. That manner is one of the ma- most important things in a church's life, is that, that spirit of gentleness, is a culture. Now, I should say, does this mean... That a church or a leader can never confront someone or correct them about something in their life, challenge them about something in their life, or even that a church could ever warn someone that, you know, if you don't turn to God, it's going to have eternal consequences. Hell is a real thing. You know, um, does that mean that you can never give any kind of warning like that in a church? And of course the answer is no. You know, if you love people, you speak the truth to them. You know, if you have a child who's going down a path of destruction... You're going to say something. You're going to get involved in their life. And as a church, of course, we have to speak the truth and we have to be honest with one another. And so there's a question, you know, how do we do this? How do we speak the truth in love, be straight with one another, but also not lay excessive burdens on one another? Well, you know, one thing I love about our denomination, we're a Presbyterian church. And if, if you don't know, the word Presbyterian comes from the Greek word presbuteron, which means elder. And Presbyterian is really about how our church is governed. It's about church leadership. And uh, if you turn to page three in your bulletin, actually, I put a quote from our Book of Church Order. I think this is my first time quoting the Book of Church Order in a sermon. It's quite an inspiring book. Um, but actually, this is a really powerful. the very beginning of the Book of Church Order, there are some preliminary prin- principles about how a church is governed. And this is an incredibly important statement. Look at what it says. All church power, whether exercised by the body in general or by representation, that's by the leaders, is only ministerial and declarative since the holy scriptures are the only rule of faith and practice. No church judicatory, I think is how you say that, sorry. Uh, No church judicatory uh, may make laws to bind the conscience. This is a very interesting statement. It says there's only certain powers that the church has. And uh, the, the church cannot make up laws, cannot add laws to God's, God's word. The only things, that, the powers that the church has are ministerial, which means the church can serve people, it can help carry burdens with them, take burdens away from them, and declarative. The church can only tell you what the Bible says. Those are the only powers. And what can often happen in the church is pastors can think it is my responsibility to control the lives of the people in my congregation and make sure that they live godly lives. We don't have that power. I can't control your life. I can't make you do anything. My only power is to serve you and to declare to you what the Bible says. And when we go beyond that, that's uh, when uh, um, that we are getting into something, an abusive relationship with a church. And so we must stay near the Bible. We have to constantly ask ourselves a question. You know, whenever we put a demand on a church and say, this is something that God expects from me, is that something in the Bible that God expected? And if it's not, we have to be vigilant to not go beyond what is written in God's word. Okay? Now, one of the reasons for insisting on that, we only teach the Bible, we don't go beyond the Bible, is because God's word actually has the power to penetrate our hearts to transform us internally. And the traditions of man only change us externally. You know, they put on this kind of religious form on the outside. And so this, this leads to a second sign of kind of mark of a culture of spiritual abuse in a church is not only the excessive laying on of burdens of people, but also the keeping up of appearances. The constant keeping up of appearances. And you see this here in verse 5 where Jesus says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. Now we're just talking about phylacteries where these little uh, leather boxes that, that um the pious you know, religious Jews would wear on their clothing that had scripture in it. And, then, and the fringes would be these straps that were strapping these boxes onto them. And so these things that are all about, oh, you love the Bible, you're really into the Bible, you wear it on your clothes and things like that, becomes this show that you're showing everyone kind of how religious you are. And Jesus is describing this great display of religiosity. And what he's saying is that the worst spiritual oppressors put on this great show of religiousness. And actually the word there, you know, to be seen by other. So it's the Greek word where we get the word theater from. You know, it's a play. You've got a costume, you've got lines that you say, and it's this pretending to be someone that I'm not. And um, of course, this is one of the primary patterns of abusers the keeping things secret, the hiding of sin and the keeping up of appearances. That's what abusers are doing. That's, this happens in families, uh, where the outside is a show of the perfect, happy family, and the inside, there's this darkness of abuse that is happening that no one knows about. And they find ways to keep the truth hidden in secret through guilt and through threats. And this is exactly the kind of manipula- manipulation that Jesus is describing in the church. The church is a family, and he says that can happen in the church. This kind of ha- hiding... With externals, the reality of what's happening. And later in the chapter, this is how Jesus says it powerfully. Later in Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy. And lawlessness. So, you have some question how do you get to that point where your whole life is about God? You wear scriptures on your clothes and you're talking about God all the time, and yet your whole life is totally self serving and is a profound mistreatment of others. How does someone get to that point? And I think there is a deep narcissism that can happen in church leaders this sense of self-importance, right? You see this, verse 6, how it says they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, right? It's literally that they love the first place at the feast and the first seats in the synagogues. They're saying, I'm first. I'm better than everyone else. And so this sense of entitlement is what enables them to blindly mistreat others. And so a leader can think, I deserve for people to do what I tell them. I deserve honor because don't they know how much I've done for them as their pastor? How much I sacrifice? And they owe me. I, and um, I'm their pastor, I'm their teacher, I'm their leader, I'm their elder. And this is really uh, the third mark of a culture of spiritual abuse is not only an excessive laying on of burdens and a keeping up of appearances, of externals, but the third thing is an authoritarian style of leadership. And, um, you know, as I mentioned before, Jesus says that one of the priorities for him is actually the manner in which leaders lead in the church, or religious leaders. You know, he said they're, they're lowly and gentle of heart. And most of you probably know what that means. You know, you, you may, you, you've been in a church and, uh, where you could have a leader who has very sound theology, they're very articulate in communicating the truths of the Bible, but they do not have a manner of love about them their manner it's hard it's hard to really pinpoint what that is and jesus addresses that here in this passage where he says in verse eight but you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers and call no man your father on earth for you have one father who is in heaven neither be called instructors for you have one instructor the christ the greatest among you shall be your servant." Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And let me just read you one other, you know, in Mark 10, Jesus says something very similar about leadership in the church. And this is what he says. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, this is what leadership is like in the Gentiles, the unbelieving world, is they lord it over people. They lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. They use their position to have an authoritarian kind of leadership to demand the people under them uh, obey them and do what they do what they want. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So what that tells us as a church is, I think you know, I think it's appropriate for a congregation to, you know, show honor and submission to their elders and leaders and say, you know, we trust you, we follow you, you know, the Bible says submit to your elders. But how the leaders should view the congregation is not, oh, you know, I'm your master, I'm your uh, teacher, I'm I'm the one that you need, I'm your father. But we should view ourselves as your brother, you know, you're our brothers and sisters. And actually, we're not above you, we are below you. We are your servants. Jesus has put us below you as your servants. And so um, any, uh, uh, to be a, a leader in the church that's a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a home group leader or a discipler has to understand um, that they are not above the people that they lead, but they are below them. And someone must understand this if they are going to be given an office in Christ's church. Now one of the things that's so amazing about this passage As all these things, laying on of burdens, um, you know, the keeping up of externals, the authoritarian leadership, which some of us think is like, well, isn't that just what church is like? I mean, that's how I would describe church in general. There is nothing more that incites the wrath of God than those three things in the leadership of Jesus' church. We hardly see him more angry than we do in Matthew 23. That is alarming to us. Um, And you might think, you know, Jesus gets angry. I don't think Jesus gets angry. This is what makes him angry. And so this leads us to a question of how do you know then if it's appropriate to leave a church because of spiritual abuse? It's The second question, how do I know? You know, I want to be committed to my church. I want to trust my, you know, I know my pastors aren't, aren't perfect. Well, this passage gives some guidance on that question. And the first thing that it tells us actually is that there is a time to stay. There's a time to stay. And you see this in verse 1, interesting from Jesus. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do, for they preach, but do not practice. Now this is a pretty uh, remarkable statement that Jesus is speaking to the crowds and to the disciples, and, you know, he's speaking this indictment against the religious leaders, and yet he says to the crowds, there's still things you can learn from them. And, uh, you know, you may have been in a church where the pastor maybe doesn't have a manner of of, uh, gentleness or, or, you know, lowly of spirit. Uh, The elders are, you know, stiff or something like that. We should be very slow to call that situations like that abuse. And because pastors always have at least some of these qualities. You know, I think about, you know, what pastor doesn't at times lay burdens on his congregation or expects things of them that go beyond the scriptures? We all do. We all do that. You know, we're giving sermons. I'm I'm saying more than the Bible says, so I know I'm going to go over that. Or, you know, or, or what pastor doesn't at times worry too much about appearances and looking righteous and savors the honor of men? For sure, that's a problem with me. I I guarantee you. I I guarantee you, I do that. What pastors overuse their authority at times, use their position instead of their character to get, win people's influence. All of us do that. And what's remarkable about this passage is how Jesus envisions the people in the church. You know, our culture thinks that if you go to church, you're just kind of this mindless lemming doing whatever the pastors tell you to do. And Jesus says, no. You go into a church. And you're going to think, you need to think about what they're telling you. And there's going to, they're going to tell you some things that are helpful. Learn from them. Benefit from them. But you can also keep an emotional, intellectual, and critical distance from your leaders. Because you know your ultimate authority is not them, but Jesus himself. He is your Lord and Savior. And so, with flawed, imperfect pastors, there is a place and a time to stay there. But I think there is also a time to leave. And I should say, you know, if you find yourself constantly leaving churches, you know, I'm there for a year or two and then I'm finding the next church and they're never perfect, that should be an indication it's probably not the church that's the problem. That could be you that are the problem. So be aware of that. Be quick, you know, don't be quick to start pointing out the leaders. But, you know, it's interesting, this passage is not directed to the leaders. The next passage we're going to look at is directed to the leaders. But this is directed to the crowds and the disciples And you'll notice, interestingly, it says in verse 6, they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces, and they love being called rabbi by others, but you are not to be called rabbi. Jesus is saying, for a time, you're going to listen to them, but I'm going to start a new church, and it's going to have new leaders. And even though this authority structure has been put in place by God, there are times when to move on from that authority structure to one that's, that's really godly and that really follows him. And, um, and that's the disciples. Jesus is forming an alternate community, and so there is a time to stay, and there will also be a time to leave. And there are different reasons why you might leave a church. You know, it's appropriate. Sometimes if, Bible, if a church does not teach the Bible, you know, there's doctrinal reasons to leave a church. But one of the things that the Bible says that we should scrutinize our leaders the most about is their character. You know, often the things that we look for in churches is, you know, what are their giftings, how do they teach, um, uh, um, you know, their knowledge, do they know a lot of things. And if you go to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, beware of false prophets. He says, beware of false teachers. He's telling you to be on alert because they're going to be in the church. And he says, the thing that you should look for in them is their fruit. Is the fruit of the Spirit in them? Is there a manner of love in them? This is God's first priority of his leaders in the church. And so in answering the question, you know, is it ever appropriate to leave a church? You might put it this way. The reason to stay in a church with imperfect pastors is because Jesus alone is our Lord and Savior, not the pastors. And so even though they're going to be flawed, I know that I can still be discipled and benefit from Jesus because my hope is not in the pastors. My hope is in him. And so that's why I can stay there and I can put up with all kinds of flaws. And yet also the reason to leave is because Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The pastor is not the ultimate authority in my life. He has a, he has a secondary authority that comes from Jesus and my, um, the ultimate authority is him. And so that means that uh, the authority in the church can be scrutinized and uh, can be challenged and the authorities in the church should be held accountable. And, you know, by the way, just to say, again, as a Presbyterian church, that's one of the things we have quite a lot of is accountability in our church. You know, I'm accountable to elders here. I'm a part of a Presbyterian regional body of pastors and churches. I'm accountable to them. I have a book of church order that tells, like, how we run and we govern a church. I just can't make it up and do whatever I want. I have have the Westminster standards, a theological standard that I have to teach according to. But, ultimately, being Presbyterian, having all this structure, cannot... Ultimately, keep us from experiencing spiritual abuse in the church. So, what is the thing that can protect us, that guards us? What is the best thing? It is the defender of the weak that we meet in this passage. Jesus is our biggest guard. Because in verse 8, again, look at what it says But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher. And you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. Three times, Jesus is pounding into us. Daniel and I are not your teachers, Jesus is both of our teachers, and we're learning about him together. Daniel and I and the elders are not your fathers. God alone is our loving protector that we look to to care for us, and to make us secure. And we are not your instructors. Jesus alone is the one who has wisdom. And so the more that the authority of Christ is honored in our church, the more this will not be a place of abuse, but a place of healing. A place where Jesus will bring the battered to hear good news, to have their wounds mended, to experience his love to have their burdens lifted and to flourish and come alive. That's what Jesus wants to make us into as a church, that kind of community, a place of healing. And I pray um, that God's spirit would do that in us. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you that you speak the truth. Uh, You expose what wants to remain hidden in the darkness. Bring it to light. um, That you might care for the weak. We also thank you for this vision of leaders, your vision of being gentle and lowly of heart. I pray that you would fill this church with these kinds of leaders. We long for them. And we pray that you would do that by helping us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And uh, so, Lord, um, we also pray that as many come here who have been wounded and experienced all kinds of abuse in their life, would this be a place where their burdens are lifted? They're encouraged. They're welcomed. And I could uh, open their hearts trusting again because of your grace. In Christ's name, amen.